volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, and welcome to season five of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado. And our mission is to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. So as you may already know, if you've been Tuning in to season five, season five is all about creating a more deeply human workplace. And our gift as human beings is our ability to adapt. And I believe that the more we can tap into our humanity, the more successful we can be in business and beyond, especially as complexity in our workplace continues to rise. I am so thrilled to announce our guest today, Amy Edmondson is on the show. And Amy, as you probably already know, is a world-renowned expert and thought leader on the topic of psychological safety, teaming, and organizational learning. And in this episode, Amy and I dive deep into the topic of psychological safety, what it means, the impacts of hierarchy and psychological safety, how it applies to physical safety at work, and how psychological safety sort of interacts with diversity, equity, inclusion, and a whole bunch more topics. You're going to love our conversation and sort of the practicality of what you'll be able to take and apply into the workplace. Again, as you probably know, Amy Edmondson is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School. Amy has been recognized by the biannual Thinkers 50 global ranking of management thinkers since 2011. And most recently, she was ranked number one in 2021. She also received the organization's Breakthrough Idea Award in 2019 and the Talent Award in 2017. You probably have seen her articles published in any number of academic and management outlets, including the Harvard Business Review and others. Amy's most recent book, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth, offers a practical guide for organizations serious about the success in the modern economy, and the book's been translated into 15 languages. All right, let's go out to the interview now with Amy Edmondson. Well, Amy, welcome. I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Amy, you talk about a fearless organization. I'd love to know, what does that mean to you? Well, it doesn't mean reckless. I'm glad you asked. A fearless organization is a book title, and it is intended to get you curious and to draw you in. But specifically, what that means to me is an organization where people can bring their full selves to work. Mm. It means an organization where people 
feel able, and I don't want to imply this is easy, easy for them or easy for organizations to build, but they feel able to speak up, able to ask questions, able to ask for help when they're in over their heads, you know, to admit mistakes. So it's an organization of intense interpersonal candor. It seems like this COVID environment that we've been in, there's been more of that emphasis on being able to bring full self to work. We've seen I've personally seen more cats and dogs and met partners <laughs> and spouses and kids, but we've also, I think, gained a lot more insight into other aspects of people's lives that have taken place. What's been your perspective on how COVID has impacted the idea of bringing full self to work? It's as if there's two parallel forces with COVID. And one was, of course, many of us were sent home to work from home, to work remotely, to teach mm-hmm. remotely. And that necessarily opened up windows into each other's homes and lives and pets and kids and kitchens and so on. So that was a kind of, there's more personal sharing necessarily, you know, automatically, if you will. At the same time, we're communicating through these postage stamp screens. And it's, on the one hand, we had this sense of, seeing more reality on the other hand it's also easier to hold back and withdraw and it's Mm -hmm. easier to hide and it's easier for people to maybe not fully sense when you have a question about something or maybe when you're feeling down or overwhelmed it's much easier to miss the subtle cues that then can make us over time feel less psychologically safe yes and less engaged yes for sure. Yeah, with many of our clients, what we're seeing right now is they've been highly successful in terms of being productive and efficient, but they've missed that human connection. And there's been this very strong sort of outreach to say, let's get some people together for an executive offsite or to reconnect and build community again. Absolutely. We are social creatures. We need and want to be together. There's a different energy when we're together. Yes. I spent some time, you know, soon after we were vaccinated and able to come back a little bit, I spent some time with a PhD student whom I had admitted to the program during COVID. We'd never met in any other way, but virtually. And we had been working on a paper together and that was going fine. He had done a lot of very good background, you know, library research. But when it came down to sort of brainstorming the exact structure and framework that we would argue in the paper we weren't getting there and yes. and and finally it wasn't that we realized okay we need to get together it's that finally there was an opportunity to get together and two hours in a conference room boom the paper was outlined the ideas mm-hmm. were flowing the whiteboard was capturing them what is it about being together that was so powerful and that allowed us to be so creative i think it's First and foremost, it's just more fun. Instead of this being a chore, like, oh, can't come up with the idea. We're not quite sure that's right. Does that make sense? But meanwhile, I think even while sitting there trying to be as engaged as you can, when you're looking at a computer screen, you're still a little distracted by the icons at the bottom and oops, a new email is there. You're not going to look at it or maybe you will, but it's a very different experience even in a dyad like like this yes and so 
energy, the warmth, the feeling of connection. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I felt like we were friends, you know, in a good way. And the work was more fun. So we're feeling that loss mm-hmm. very much, yeah. I think. You use the term psychological safety, and of course, your research and thought leadership around that topic is world-renowned. Tell us what that means to you, psychological safety. I really look at psychological safety in groups or teams, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in work environments. And it is an emergent property of a group that describes an interpersonal climate where people feel able to speak up honestly openly quickly yes and again i'll say it's not that that's easy it's that you believe it to be expected and okay right this is what we do around here yes so it it describes the interpersonal climate in a group setting Mm -hmm. how do you distinguish between trust and psychological safety is it the same is one a component of the other what does that look like from your standpoint i see psychological safety as a blend of or created by trust and respect and so trust is technically something that an individual believes about another entity usually a person right i trust you to have my best interest at heart or i trust you to carry out this assignment without my micromanaging you I predict that you will do the right thing in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's about my view of you, where psychological safety is kind of a a way it is around here. It's like microculture, right. you know, climate yes. is a kind of microculture. And just from my research and observations, when people trust each other in a group and when they tend to respect each other, you know, psychological safety is more or less automatic in that mm-hmm. setting. Yes. What does it enable? So if I, if we think about an executive team working together, low levels of psychological safety versus high levels, what's the distinction and what does it enable for teams? The most important thing it enables for executive teams is good decision-making. Right? Mm. That They will not fall prey to a very common trap, which is making a consequential decision in a particular direction that one or more people had grave doubts about but didn't feel psychologically safe to speak up about them yes and this isn't a rare occurrence this isn't oh that happened way back in the bay of pigs decision but hasn't happened since no this happens daily you know or maybe at least weekly in organizations so and why is that right and some of it is just slightly below even conscious awareness, you sort of hold back. As one executive I spoke to described it, I didn't want to be the skunk at the picnic. Right. right. It's not that they're sort of going, oh, gee, I don't feel safe speaking up in this team. It's more that, I don't know, everybody else seems to like it. And who am I? Or I don't want to be unpleasant. Or I'm new here. Or maybe this isn't really my area of expertise. Like we have all sorts of ways to justify, but usually not terribly consciously, holding back rather than just jumping mm-hmm. in in an executive team with high psychological safety that just doesn't happen people mm-hmm. say hold on here let me just question this assumption yeah and there's some interpersonal risk here right some vulnerability to say i don't well, know, you know or to say i have a different idea or i'd like to challenge that idea and so that's the challenge here for people is taking that risk It's exactly right. And it's, you know, I think most executives don't want to think of themselves as scaredy cats. And they're not, Mm -hmm. right? This is just a natural, normal social function that we want to look good. 
in front of our peers. I mean, we want people to like and respect us, full stop. You know, the old saying, I won't get this quite right, you know, it's better to stay silent and, you know, leave people in in doubt that you're a fool than to speak up and demonstrate that you're a fool. Yes. That's just so wrong. In in an era, it's just so wrong, right? It's the opposite. We need a saying that says, so much better to speak up than to hold back. You know, Mm -hmm. a stitch in time saves nine, but now's the time. Speak up and share that doubt because, first of all, there might be three other people in the room who have the same doubt. Mm -hmm. We all feel alone with our, "Hmm, I'm not quite sure, thought, but more often than not, we're not alone. Second of all, you might be alone, but you might be the hero who prevents us from, let's say, acquiring another company that would later turn out to be a fiasco. Yes. Amy, I will never forget the time I was working with an executive team a few years ago, and this executive spoke up and said, I've never gotten in trouble for not opening my mouth. Exactly. Yes. Which is, first of all, kind of funny if you think about it, because we don't, we aren't in command and control universes anymore. We shouldn't be. And yet that statement can still be true and it shouldn't be true because Mm -hmm. we're in the knowledge era. And in fact, there ought to be in a funny way, there ought to be punishment for not opening your mouth. When you had something issue relevant to say. Right. The yeah, problem is yeah. it's invisible. We'll never know. Right, right exactly. We won't yeah. know what you never said that you were potentially thinking. What's the connection with, so we're talking about psychological safety. I'm guessing, and I think there's a connection here between that and physical safety at work, whether it's a mining company or manufacturing or biotech. What's the connection here? The connection is enormous. You know, there's two ways I've studied physical safety. One is worker safety, and the other is patient safety in hospital setting, which is a workplace. It's generally the patients that are at risk of being harmed, although caregivers can get harmed too by by needle sticks and other problems. So the primary connection between workplace safety and psychological safety is that with psychological safety, people don't hold back on speaking up with a question or a concern. Mm -hmm. That doesn't look like the right dose, or I'm not sure how to do this, could you help me? And in factory settings where there's often so much risk of harm to the the workers, when people are willing to say, hey, put your safety glasses back on, friend. Mm -hmm. They're willing to say, don't step in there, there's a live wire. It's, It's that willingness to do things that in a funny way, especially in very masculine, macho environments might seem uncool or, you know, weak. No, no, no. You know, it's actually an act of respect and care that I'm Mm. willing to speak up and say, stop. I think that's fascinating. It made me think about in your book, Fearless, you cited a surprising study that you did among teams that were psychologically safe versus not in terms of number of failures that were reported. Right. I mean, it's a little bit complicated to explain because the main thing I learned from that study was that there were real differences, substantial differences across healthcare teams in the same hospital in their willingness to speak up and report error. So the naive original study, the original research question and the original hope was to show that team properties, teamwork, you know, survey measured quality of teamwork 
was predictive of error rates. So it was supposed to be that better teams had lower errors, lower right. error rates, right? Which right. makes sense. But my data seemed to suggest that it was the opposite, right? that the better teams, according to the team diagnostic survey, had higher error rates. It's like, Interesting. wait a minute, what? That can't be true because better teams coordinate better. They speak up. They, you know, and, and indeed I later called this difference in reporting climate, psychological safety. Mm. It wasn't what I set out to study. So in order to really make that a compelling claim, I had to do some additional research that helped demonstrate these differences were real. And then in follow-on studies in other industries, I was able to show that psychological safety or the belief that I can speak up around here is significantly different across teams, even in the same organization, even oh, in organizations with very strong corporate cultures. So it's not blanket. We've got psychological safety here in this 10,000 person company. One team may have it. Another part of the business may not or have it to a lesser extent. Exactly. It tends yeah. to be quite local, right? It's mm, a, interesting. You know, our team. Everyone, or I suppose most of our listeners can think of a team they were on where they absolutely felt, yeah, I can just chime right yes. in. And then I've been on other teams where I'm reading the tea leaves and holding back and right. recognizing that statement of no one ever got fired for silence. Right. So, you know, it's intuitive that in fact, teams are different. And mm -hmm. then you say, well, why? And it's hard to get away from at least the first simple conclusion that leaders in the middle matter. And I actually yes. think, think that's an exciting conclusion, right? That mm. team leaders and branch managers and unit leaders, you know, the people who sort of run some meaningful piece of an organization, whether a product development team or a hospital patient care unit, have an outsized influence on yes. the psychological safety or the learning environment of the mm -hmm. team. Amy, I'm curious. I started my career as an army officer and in organizations that are highly structured, like the army and other military services, public safety, positional power I th tends to be very strong. And maybe even to a deeper extent, people's identity is highly attached to rank. I'm curious about what you found in those types of environments is there less safety in those environments for people to speak up or what what's your research say i'm so glad you asked that because this to me is the most interesting thing that i found in my research the initial hypothesis would be oh well very hierarchical organizations like the military would have lower psychological safety than others and maybe on average yes but what i really find exciting is that in every organization, whether military, VHA, hospitals, which are quite hierarchical in their mm -hmm. own right, corporations that are more or less hierarchical, nations that are more or less hierarchical, you will always find variability. And then you mm. poke at it to understand what's going on here. Yeah. And you will find the same things. Like for example, in one study in hospital ICUs, looked at 2023 ICUs, they all have the exact same hierarchical structure, which was considerable. You know, doctor, nurse, respiratory therapist, in that order. On average, in the whole sample, which is about 1,100 people, there were statistically significant differences by role in the mm -hmm. direction you'd expect. You know, the, the higher status individuals had more belief that their voice was expected, valued, et cetera. But 
team by team, when you start looking at them carefully, that you find that there are some where same hierarchy, but everyone feels entirely empowered. Human. Yes. Everyone yes. believes their voice matters. These are places for humanity to flourish, I would say. So the takeaway, and again and again, I find this, the takeaway, hierarchy's not the problem in its own mm. right. Sometimes it plays a very important role. It's how hierarchy is handled, particularly by those at the top, yes. that matters, right? So you might be the boss in a very hierarchical setting. If you show up each day and say, hey, I might miss something. I need to hear from you. I need your full reports from the field. Hey, Amy, what are customers saying? How were the patients doing last night, right? Yes. I can't tell you how awkward it would feel for me as your subordinate to not answer those questions. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. <laughs> I would want to answer and I want to answer well, right? right? And I know you're listening, right? So it's really, are you showing up in a way that first and foremost reminds us all that you know you don't know everything, you're not infallible. There's a humility to it, yeah. Right? And then number two, you're doing things, particularly asking questions that unambiguously signal that you are interested in having the information mm. that we have, right? It can even be for selfish purposes so that you do well, right? right? And that just, I don't need you to baby me. I just need you to signal that you actually want to hear from me. Mm. And guess what? You actually do want to hear from me because I do see things last night that you missed. You know, no pilot wants to right. fly into a mountain that mm. the co-pilot already saw. Just not a happy outcome. Mm -hmm. And you talked about that in Fearless in terms of the, I forgot the captain's name. I should know. Oh, it's Sullenberger. Yeah, Sully. Yes. That's right. Magnificent. Yeah. What story. an amazing story, but the ability to just very quickly get to the point, make a decision that in you said earlier, very consequential to a whole lot of people. That's what the safety piece does. Right. And I can uh, say with authority that he, Sully Sullenberger, with every new flight he ever flew, would make sure that his team, co-pilots and crew cockpit, mm -hmm. I mean, um, flight crew alike, knew without a shadow of a doubt that he wanted to hear from them. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that. And it probably doesn't take that long. You can get that crew together no. in one in minute. Five minutes. Right, no. five minutes. It's just, a, it's a matter of making the message clear. And and none of that is done with relinquishing any authority or yes. responsibility for yes. groups or the, or the crew or what have you. Mm-hmm. Amy, we've talked in a couple of, over the last few episodes about diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm curious about diversity. We often hear diverse teams are better teams, but that's not always the case. What does your research point to and, and what's the role of psychological safety yeah. on diverse teams? I like to say, because I agree with the better statement, but so I like to say, and I think it's true, that diverse teams have the potential, almost the enormous. Mm potential to be better, yes. but it's not automatic, right? It's not a matter of like, let's put a diverse team together and it'll just be better. No, it's got to have two things, I think, but one is psychological safety, right? One is it's got to have a climate where people with these diverse backgrounds and knowledge bases absolutely feel confident that 
their voices are welcome because otherwise you've you've got this sort of hidden diversity or you know it's not hidden but it's not going to come out to be put to good use and the second bit which i haven't done you know i talked about as much but is a sort of good process you know that, mm. that we're disciplined and li- we're listening we're staying on topic we're doing the learning and the innovating that we need to do in in a thoughtful way mm. interesting we often think about leadership is the what and the how or results in relationships. And in a way, that's what you've just described, like the structure matters and also the way in which or the how people go about it matters too. Exactly. It sounds so easy. It's like the ingredients matter, but then how you mix them up and how yes. you yeah. get the temperature right in the oven. Right. Exactly. My, my mother, she passed away about a year ago. But it was so funny because we always had this joke that we would try to cook something that she had cooked or baked. And she never quite included all of the ingredients in her recipes. It's kind of the family joke. But maybe that but maybe there's something similar tacit, there. It's the tacit knowledge of how. Yes, yes. The je ne sais quoi of stirring, mm-hmm. stirring the pot. Right, right. So we, we started out today talking about this virtual world and connection and some of that element that's missing. You've written a few articles in Harvard Business Review around virtual teams and the hybrid world. What are your recommendations for creating psychological safety in that environment? You know, my recommendations are very similar to how you create them in a face-to-face environment, but louder. (laughs) Not, you know, you're turning up the volume, not literally Mm. volume, but Maybe a better way to say that is with a heavier hand, with a with a more explicit. If I'm if I'm encouraging leaders and everyone, frankly, in in teams pre hybrid or remote work to ask lots of questions and to listen intently to each other, I'm saying that. And yes, you know, slow it down. Really make sure it's there. Create structures and norms that engage us make meetings the right length so that we're going to be here engaged i know that my voice is needed here i'm not going to be tempted to try to do other things at the same time because you're asking me questions i'm listening maybe we're going to talk about something and then we're going to vote on it maybe we're going to do a quick poll or use the chat very quickly just to say what's your top three thoughts on this right so that you can see I'm, I'm trying to illustrate what a heavier hand might look like. Because mm-hmm. I think when we're all in a room around a table, there's so much body language and, and leaning in and looking puzzled that we tune into and go after in a, in a productive way, whereas we can't expect that to happen. We can't see this as just like that, but in my own, you know, through a computer. It's different. Yeah, yeah. So it's ultimately here, the principles are the same, but it's maybe amping up a few elements. Amping it up a little. It's more important to make it discussable like than Mm. in uh, face-to-face teams. You might want to say things like, given the constraints of communicating like this, it might be very easy for us to miss something. Yeah. Um, Or it might be very easy for us to miss some important voices, right? So you sort of, it becomes a thing you're allowed to talk about. So you're just creating that, you're giving permission to talk about how the environment could impact our safety. Exactly. Yeah. 
and raising it as a hypothesis, like I suspect it might. I suspect that our meeting this way could create some hurdles. Yes. You know, ones I've thought of, but maybe even ones I haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful spending this time with you today. And you're doing such incredible work for teams, for organizations, for this world. And imagine what can become possible when we have a more fearless and psychologically safe work environment. You are welcome. And I so appreciate your inviting me. Thank you, Amy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.